they had a, an amazing presentation. It just was, everything was so like perfectly branded, really just, you know, they, they nailed all of that. Um, but behind the scenes, it was a total chit show. And the whole time it's like, you know, I remember we had a girl that was handling some of the, the support tickets and sort of helping them with that. And I just remember her just being at such a loss. And she was like, there's no way they're going to be able to pull this off. Like, there's just no way. And she's, you know, there were a lot of angry customers even leading up to the festival. Um, you know, people just that had so many questions that, and there were no answers for them, you know? Um, and I, I really felt that they wouldn't actually go through with it um, just based on all of those things, but they did. And uh, we all know how that ended. Um, you know, we uh, took a massive hit because we were the ticketing provider. We actually got stuck with all the chargebacks for the festival. So we had a, a three and a half million dollar liability with our uh, payments processor. And it was absolutely the most devastating thing that could ever happen. Like we just saw, the chargebacks coming in and it just kept hitting our account and hitting our account and hitting our account. Um, you know, and it's like, you're of two minds, right? It's like on one hand, you're, you feel really bad for these people. Like they spent all this money to go and they didn't get that experience. So they should get their money back, right? Like they are totally entitled to get their money back, but fire wasn't giving that money back. And so it was coming out of our pocket and essentially about to put us out of business. Welcome to Lit Up Founders, a show about the entrepreneurial pioneers of the modern cannabis industry and the organizations they're building. Each episode features the founder themselves, sharing their life's journey that inspired the entrepreneur within to create the most impactful ideas in modern cannabis. Today's guest started building a strong work ethic at the age of 12 and never stopped. Understanding she learned through work it was fundamental that her choice in university had an emphasis on learning through action. She followed her interest in event production to a premier events company in Boston, producing high-end events like a Super Bowl ring ceremony at the team owner's house. It was in her time managing Boston's most select nightclubs that she noticed a gap. The ultra-premium club life was ultra-antiquated in how they manage guest bookings. To solve that, she co-founded TableList to modernize nightclub and event reservations. They soon expanded nationally and beyond the club too, landing the most ultra-premium event of 2017, Firefest. Wow, you may have seen the documentaries, but facing 3.5 million in chargebacks, just wow. Following that, she took over as CEO and with four others, stayed to rebuild the decimated company. Just as things were growing again, she lost her mom to cancer. And this was all just before COVID hit, shutting down every nightclub and event in the world. A call came in from an old contact from Boston who needed help managing the growing queues at their dispensaries during COVID. Could their software help? Bringing hospitality to cannabis Please enjoy the founder's journey of Kyla Searney, co-founder and CEO of Dispense. So I, I think the problem that we saw within the cannabis industry as we were working with some of our retailers was, um, one, there were very little tools for them to be able to connect directly with their customers. So a lot of the tools that exist right now are uh, you know, powered by third parties or these consumer marketplaces, uh, which is great. And in some ways, it can really sort of help them with their discoverability. 
but you know, when a customer is going to your website and they're you know looking at your brands uh, and they have a lot of questions about products, it's you know it's nice for them to be able to connect directly with someone you know representing you that can really sort of help them with that journey. Uh, and then I think the other thing was just you know there was a lot of lack of customization uh, on the e-commerce side and uh, on the operations side. Uh, and so, you know, we're solving that with dispense by you know, providing uh, the retailers with, you know, really simple to use, customizable technology to help them uh, do all of those things. Uh, we are, uh, we actually just closed on our uh, seed round of funding. So we're really, really excited about that. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. And we'll use that funding to, you know, hire some top talent, uh, keep you know, building on the product and um, and in our sales and marketing efforts to uh, to scaling and growing the company. Well, that's that's amazing. And like I've been on your website, uh, it is uh, dispenseapp.com, and it's just a wonderful wrapper um, for for the dispensary experience of uh, things that would require five or ten different services tied together if they're even interoperable together to get that experience. And, you know, when, to be honest, Patrick Ray told me about you guys and I was just like, uh, and Emily too, Paxia. And I was just so like, this is so beautiful. Like this must come from hospitality. And then I find out that it really does come from <laughs> hospitality. So uh, Kyla, I wanted to have you on the show today to tell us about your founder's journey. Cause you guys are coming out of COVID in hospitality as, as I have as well you guys are coming into a very new industry and a very new world. So um, I wanted to, to meet one of the, the co-founders behind Dispense and, and share it with the world. So thanks for being on today. Thank you for having me. So as you know, you've listened to the show and appreciate your feedback, is every founder's journey starts before they exist. You know, it starts <laughs> with your parents. Uh, so take it away. Let us, uh, how did, how did life exist before you came into the world? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I grew up in a really small town, uh, in the suburbs, of New York city uh, in Westchester. It's called Ryan, New York. Uh, it's where Playland is. If anybody's familiar, uh, you, it's on my hit list to go to <laughs> my, my girlfriend keeps telling me, you got to go to go on the dragon go, coaster. Gotta, it's like the oldest, oldest roller coaster in, in the world, I think, uh, or at least in, in the U S uh, and, um, you know, one of, one of four kids, uh, you know, my, my older brothers and I were, uh, were adopted, um, oh. little sister was biological. And so, um, you know, we, we have a, a big, uh, really sort of loving family. Where are uh, you in the, where are you in the birth order? I'm number three. You're number three. Okay. Number so three. yeah. So my, my parents, um, you know, had trouble sort of getting pregnant and, uh, you know, just decided to adopt. And then when I was uh, almost seven, my mom got pregnant with my little sister. So she was uh, a big surprise. <laughs> wow. Mir miracle baby on that one. So you got a much younger sister. How, how older, younger? I mean, like, obviously your, your siblings, your, is there older brothers? Yeah. Two older brothers. We're all about, we're all about two and a half years apart. So, um, you know, the, the, between them and, and myself. So interesting. What were your parents' vocations? What were they like? 
So, um, you know, my dad, uh, when I was younger, um, had like a really small uh, oil business that he um, took over from his father, my grandfather. He sold that when I was super young and then sort of got into more of like the insurance business. Um, My mom uh, was a teacher, a school teacher. She um, sort of took a break to raise us as kids. And then we and then went to become the uh, deputy city clerk for the city of Rye. Um, So she worked there for a very, very long time up until her retirement. Um, very cool. And they, they, they lived there for, that was like their spot. They were, you yeah, guys were, we grew up in the same house, you know, my whole life until I went off to college. Uh, we lived, you know, maybe a couple blocks away from the Long Island Sound. So I grew up, you know, sort of on the water, just loving the beach, boating, you know, all that sort of stuff. Uh, which brings me to my next question. Yeah. What were you, what were you getting into when? When, when, yeah. you were, when you guys were, the cohort uh, was running around Rye causing all sorts of ruckus. <laughs> yeah. So I was always trying to keep up with my older brothers, you know, like I thought what they did was cool. Like I wanted to play baseball, but I couldn't. I had to play softball, um, which, which I still loved. Um, I think I tried every sport. Um, some sports I was not very good at and then other sports kind of stuck. So what was the most um, passion that you had as far as like those things? What were the ones that like really yeah. resonated with you? Yeah. So field hockey and lacrosse, those became my two, um, the two sports that I just like loved and really put a lot of time and effort into, um, you know, going to all the camps and all that kind of stuff. We were, uh, when I was in high school, we, uh, our, our field hockey team actually were New York state champions. Um, so we, yeah, we, <laughs> we were pretty Impressive. competitive, pretty competitive team. And, uh, and, you know, lacrosse, I was, you know, I was okay at, I really liked it, but field hockey is probably my, my better sport. Okay. When did you hang up the stick? When I went to college, um, I, you know, I went to Northeastern and there just was, you know, I I had to make that choice of, you know, do I go on and play sports and make this sort of top priority? Um, or do I actually, you know, the whole reason why I chose Northeastern was because it's a five-year program and they have the co-op program where you can work and I think even at a really young age, I understood that work was how I learned best. I didn't learn best in the classroom. I always learned by you know, more hands-on experience. And, um, and that was actually you know, why I chose to go to Northeastern. It was the only school I applied to because of that co-op program. You shared earlier on a little pre-interview questions that you started working, was it at 15? Is that right? It was actually, I was 12. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, during my summer going into seventh grade, uh, I told my dad that I wanted to work and he had a friend that owned uh, a travel agency called Honey Travel. And um, they let me work there. Uh, I actually worked 40 hours a week, Monday through Friday, uh, nine to five. As they a 12 year old? As a 12 year old, they paid me $5 an hour. Uh, so I made like 200 bucks a week, which to a 12 year old is like That's amazing. That's like everything. <laughs> So I would go in, you know, I would do coffee runs. I would actually do bank deposits. I would issue boarding passes. I would like organize. So they give you a stack of cash and be like, go to the bank. Go, yes, yep, yep. And then, um, and then afterwards, the wine, the rye wine, say it was across the street, and I'd go and I'd, um, I'd work out after. <laughs> so I was like such a little like, you know, You're like adult. a mini adult. Yeah, I was. Had your and gym I really... bag, complain about work. <laughs> <laughs> I I loved it though because I realized like you know, by doing that, I could, you know, buy things I wanted to buy and I had some more freedom and I could help out more and I could, you know, I just, yeah, I really enjoyed it. That was, you know, Rye is a, for those not in the area, like Rye is a very affluent community um, in a very affluent area. They're a very affluent community. Um, 
and it, it's really great that that work ethic was there, that it wasn't like, yeah, we were here and we, there's abundance around you, but you need to learn and earn your own abundance too. I think that's probably the most valuable lesson anybody can, your parents can teach you besides love. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my parents, um, my parents both worked really, really hard to, you know, bring us up there because it was a safe community. It was a really great community to, to grow up in um, and, and, you know, amazing schools, amazing public schools. Uh, but, you know, I didn't have everything that all my friends had. Like a lot of my friends had, you know, these like giant mansions and, you know, these really expensive sort of golf club memberships and, you know, we're going on these crazy European vacations and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So we didn't have any of that. um, But, you know, my parents did everything they could to make sure that we, you know, um, had everything that we needed. Mm -hmm. And I always appreciated that, um, you know, and so I wanted to, you know, find a way to also be able to, you know, uh, have my own money to be able to buy things and pay for things. And I learned that at a really early age through, you know, their example, just by working hard. And, um, and I realized that, you know, I also really enjoyed it. So. That's amazing. That's incredible. Uh, what were some of the things that, I mean, now that you've worked so hard for that money, what were some of the things (laughs) that you voted with some of the things that you bought with your dollars? So I, so later on, it was, I mean, I think in the early days, it was, I, I, it was probably wasted on things like, you know, candy or like the movies and, you know, Blockbuster, or like all those types waste. of things. Don't <laughs> yeah. let anyone tell you otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> you know, going, going, uh, going out to lunch with friends, those kinds of things. Um, but then later on, so my parents were also kind of strict when I was growing up and probably with good reason, because I was a little bit of a wild child in high school. Um, and so when I got to my senior year, I had, I, I obviously wasn't working at the travel agency anymore. I was working, uh, I worked at a hair salon every Saturday all through high school. Um, and, uh, and sometimes even after school when I wasn't playing sports, um, but I made, you know, decent money there as well. And, uh, my parents, my senior year told me that I wasn't allowed to go on spring break. Um, and my whole class was going to the Bahamas. I was like, I have to go. I can't miss it. You know, I've been working um, since 12 years old for this. <laughs> so, literally. Um, and so I, paid for it myself. I, I bought the whole package and paid for it myself. And at that point they oh. couldn't say anything. Yeah. They were like, well, all right, I guess you can go. Was that, uh, how did that, so- <laughs> I mean, besides all the alcohol you drank that week, I don't want to hear that story, but like, how did <laughs> yeah. that feel that be like, this is my money. I earned this. Like, yeah. this is mine. I've made this decision. Was that like a very adulting moment? It was actually, yeah. It was like, you know, again, I think that you just realize sort of some of the freedom that can come with the hard work that goes behind it. And if you, especially if you plan for it and save up and, um, you know, that you're able to do what at the time seemed like the most important thing in my life. Nothing, (laughs) nothing was, nothing was more important, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but, but even looking back, like that trip was so much fun. We, we actually went our class. Um, I think, I think we had over 80 people go on that trip. Yeah. And they all stayed in one room, right? Yeah. Or you got to join. So, um, you know, it was, it was such a fun trip and, and just, you know, we made memories of a lifetime and, you know, it's, so it was, it was, it was pretty cool that I got to go. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what brought you to want to get up to Boston? You only applied at Northeastern. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that was another thing I thought, I think my parents wanted to kill me because, you know, they, uh, thought that I would, 
you know, apply to maybe 10 schools or do the whole college tour and, you know, all those kinds of things that normal, um, you know, seniors would do. And I had learned about, I think I, I, what had happened was I went to go visit my sister, my now sister-in-law who was at Tufts. So I went to Boston, I visited her at Tufts and she kind of took me around Boston. I just really, really, really connected with the city. I really, really loved it. And I had always imagined going to school, like, you know, coming from, obviously I was in the suburbs of New York, but I'd spent a lot of time in New York City. And New York City at the time for me just felt really overwhelming. Um, But I liked the idea of being in a city. And so Boston was kind of like that perfect middle ground for me. Uh, And then when I learned about the Northeastern Co-op program, uh, again, just you know, I was a I was a good student, but I wasn't. I didn't always apply myself because I felt like I wasn't. Um, you know, it it just I don't know, just something about this sort of. You know, you needed a mix of of in yeah. class, but also hands on as well. Exactly, and I just um, I just always loved working. And so when I found out about that program, I just knew it was a school for me. I applied early. I told my parents. I said. I'm going here. Like I'm getting it. I have to get it. I have no choice. <laughs> I have to. And get you it. probably have an 800 credit score. So you're <laughs> right, like, I'm going. Yeah. I already applied. I signed the paperwork. We're we're good to go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So what I, was the I, co-op program about, though? Like I, I think I may have missed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Northeastern. Um, I believe a lot of schools actually do this now, but Northeastern was kind of the first of its time that offered a a five-year program where you would go, your first year was sort of like a normal freshman year, like you would have at any college. And then the following four years were actually split up between six months of school and then six months of working. And they have a a co-op sort of, you know, the the program has people that actually help place you and find you internships and co-ops that, you know, uh, are either related to your major or things that you're, you know, potentially interested in. So it was Um, open-ended. It didn't have to be like this or that or whatever else. It was like, we do this kind of learning here for for people. Exactly. And I think, you know, I'll never forget like sort of the first day, you know, the first day of classes when they sort of you know, we're talking about it. And they said, you know, the importance of the co-op program isn't necessarily to help you find uh, what you want to do, but it's to help you eliminate what you don't want to do. Um, and you do that while you're sort of in your college journey. Um, and it, you know, by the time you graduate, you're kind of that much further ahead in your you know, professional career than some of the other people that might be graduating that didn't necessarily have that experience. Those are valuable lessons that only experience can teach you. How... Mm-hmm. How did you find about like one? How did how were you self aware of knowing like this is how I like I I I like learning and like being? And then how did you find that Northeastern was offering that as a as a, as a focus and a way to learn? Yeah, so I had um, I had heard about the program through a friend of mine. Um, we actually ended up being you know uh, roommates. She's actually you know one of my best friends from uh, growing up, but not in the same town. And um, she had heard about it through someone else. And again, it, it was weird. It's like you know you know when you I don't know if you were told this, but a lot of times uh, I was told as a senior or, or as a junior, like touring colleges, like the minute you know, you know, like you, you either step foot on campus or you hear about something or something, there's something about it, whether you play sports, whatever it is, uh, you'll just kind of have that connection to it. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Not sure. Like I had seen a couple of schools, um, but I just felt that like as soon as I stepped on the campus and I knew sort of what the school stood for, um, I knew that that was exactly where I was meant to be. Makes those decisions a lot easier then. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you've 
found that. I'm glad one, you were self-aware at an early age to know that about yourself. And then you found that in, in, in your education and not just, well, they're yeah. all going here. So let me follow along with the other 80 Bahama kids and, and get over there. <laughs> totally. Um, so what was that first few years in Boston like then? How did you get into what yeah. you are going to be getting into? Like, yeah. So, um, I was, uh, you know, even in high school, I was, you know, always planning events. I always loved being a hostess, um, you know, planning after prom parties and all those types of things. Uh, and so when I was doing a, um, when I was trying to, when I was trying to interview for my first co-op, actually, this is a funny story. My very first interview for a co-op was with like an advertising agency that was in Copley Square. And I remember, thinking like, I was so overly confident. I was like, oh, I'm gonna nail this interview. I'm totally gonna get this job. Like I have so much work experience and you know, I, I you know, I, I was all, yeah. I just was like, I, you know, look at my resume, it's awesome. You know, I just really thought I was gonna nail it. It was and on fancy so I, paper, not just regular It was, paper. it was like totally fancy paper. I, you know, I had the suit on, I had like everything. And I go, I go to this interview um, and I get off the elevator and I see the receptionist and I'm walking towards her and Boom! I walked right into a glass door, <laughs> like sorry, so hilarious. hard. Like my nose started bleeding, and oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it was awful. It was awful, um, and my eyes were like tearing because it like hurt so much. And then I had to go and sit through this interview while I was like in so much pain. And the worst part is that when I left, I actually saw like the imprint of my lip gloss on the glass. And it was just such like a humiliating, humbling moment. I'm like, okay, like I had to, you know, yeah. Was anyway, it like, I kiss this place goodbye to that pop up in your head. Yeah. You're just yeah. like, wow. Yeah, I, I just, yeah. So you, the universe needed, you needed to have a check right there. Yeah, so. I did. And, and it, it was a big one for me and I didn't get the job. And what's so crazy about that is not getting that job. Um, you know, an opportunity came up. It was sort of like the last you know, company to submit a co-op, uh, you know, position was with a company called Rapinelli Events. Uh, they're super high-end event planning company. Um, and, you know, Their my website is amazing, by the way. Oh, the events that we, that, that, you know, they do are just so jaw-dropping, phenomenal. Um, and so I, uh, I, my co-op advisor called me, she's like, this position came up. It sounds like, you know, you could be a good fit. I interviewed for it. I ended up getting the position and I ended up staying with them. Uh, all four years um, after, and um, ended up working on some really cool events. I, you know, I planned some of the Super Bowl ring ceremonies for the Patriots uh, at Robert Kraft's uh, house um, in Chestnut Hill, and you know, that was pretty cool. It was like I was I was 21 years old planning the Super Bowl ring ceremony for the Patriots. Like, I, you That's know, that was cool. It was it was pretty awesome. Um, what resonated with you about that? I mean, obviously the cool yeah. factor is there, but like that's a high profile, high stress, you know, oh, in, yeah. environment. <laughs> and you know, having someone's bar mitzvah, you know, at the <laughs> you know whoever's home is could be a high stress environment as well. But like, there's a lot of eyes yeah. on this. Yeah. So um, I, you know, I started off as like an intern and then just kind of worked my way up. So I think when I started, there were only, um, I don't know, eight or 10 people at the company. And um, I really just wanted to learn. And Brian Raffinelli is, you know, the best event planner there is. Like, there's just no question. He's Period, just full stop. Yeah, it's just amazing. And I knew that I was in a good spot. And um, I saw like the level of clientele that they were working with. You know, they were planning like million dollar weddings. Um, and, and, you know, these 
crazy fundraisers. And it was just, it was just like a really exciting place. But I think, you know, I think that everyone kind of has this vision of event planners being like Jennifer Lopez and the wedding planner, like, oh, it's all like, you know, fun and whatever. It's not that. It's like, you're on your feet, like sometimes, you know, 20 hours straight, like it's so much work. It's like blood, sweat, and tears. There's just a lot. And you have to have a smile on your face too. Always. Yeah. You can never let the client know that like, you know, the linens didn't arrive or like the flowers are wrong or whatever whatever it is. Like you get down right now, but (laughs) everything's fine. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Coming right out. Um, What? So you started as an intern, like what? How did you work your way up there? I mean, obviously you had passion for it and you loved it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you have those things that that pulls you through. Yeah. But, like, just- so I really wanted to remain a part of the team. And when my, co- so this is the thing with Northeastern is when your co-op is up, you go back to school, right? So, you know, it's, it's like six months back. and then, yeah, exactly. And so um, what I did was I, um, I just asked them, right? Like I, I find that a lot of times if you just kind of ask or put yourself out there, uh, I just asked, I was like, is there any way that I can stay on either part-time or full-time, but maybe on a flexible schedule while I'm in school? And um, the only position that was available was actually in accounting. <laughs> it was like it was like an accounting assistant position. Um, and what's actually really crazy is my mentor, who was the CFO then, is actually the CFO for Dispense now. So it's um, it, the whole world comes full circle. But uh, but I learned. I I thought, okay, I have no accounting experience. Um, I was actually an English major in, in college. So I had nothing to do with event planning either. But um, I figured learning sort of the accounting and budgeting side of the business couldn't hurt. So that's what I did. I think that's got to be super valuable experience of being like, that cake cost how much? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those linens were how much? That's yeah. a, is that what a tent rental goes for? <laughs> so you have yeah. to start planning those things. Those are yes. eye-dropping numbers. So Exactly. Um, so you stayed there almost through your entire time while you were, you were in university mm-hmm. up there. Um, and then you had an, another big pivot, um, which yes. was also in the event space. So you're, you're loving, you're loving the nightlife. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I left there, um, and, uh, it, it was just, it became, you know, just way too much. I mean, it can, I was working like hundred hour weeks. Um, I ended up leaving there and then, uh, working for a restaurateur uh, and, and venue owner in Boston who was very highly regarded. Um, he actually uh, found me through uh, a mutual friend um, and was looking for sort of a manager to run uh, some of his venues in Boston. And so that was kind of how I got more on like the venue side of it, uh, as opposed to the event planning. And, and uh, I started working for Speakeasy Group, um, you know, sort of opening and managing some nightclubs and restaurants uh, there. I'm not a nightclub guy, but from some quick Googling, these were some pretty epic clubs in, in, in town. Yeah, they, they were. I mean, Saint um, was, you know, sort of this legendary club in, in Boston. Uh, it was sort of the first one, I think, that sort of launched the concept of like the VIP sort of, you know, bottle service and, and those types of things. Like very, very early on, uh, there were even members to, uh, you know, the nightclub and, you know. This was in the like 07 to 10 kind of range, right? 2027 20, to... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
just to give a frame of reference of when vodka bottles started going for a $1,000 a bottle instead of a hundred, just because there's sparklers on it. Exactly. That's exactly right. Uh, I'm sure there's more to it um, than that, but uh, um, what drew you to that yeah. kind of space? And obviously you graduated with an English major. I mean, the world is your oyster. You can do whatever you want after that. Just, there was no interest continuing on education wise in a, in a, in a collegiate nope. setting. <laughs> <laughs> no, there wasn't. Um, again, I think I think I was just really sort of like really liked uh, the path that I was on, and I really liked sort of what I was learning. And you know, one of the um, one of the coolest experiences for me, sort of in getting hired in that specific position, was so so Brian Lesser, who uh, was you know my my boss at the time, um, on my first day. So I had never worked in a nightclub restaurant, like I'd never worked before in this industry. Um, on, on the operation side. And when I started my first day, he handed me keys. Um, he showed me how to turn on the lights. He showed me where the desk was and he was like, okay, like work. <laughs> and that was it. Like there was no training. There was no like, okay. So I kind of had to figure it out. And I, sometimes I think that's the best way to learn. Um, but you, you sort of just like watch and talk to some of the other managers and sort of learn, okay, where's my place here and what value can I offer? And, um, and then you sort of build out from there. And, uh, for me, again, that was sort of like the best, the best possible way for me to sort of take that position on. There's your apprenticeship. So, exactly. so yeah. you start, I, I guess you see, I'm assuming you started like as a manager there. And then mm-hmm. when you left, I think it was like around uh, 13 or so, what yeah. were you doing when you were leaving? I think you had like a relaunch for some clubs and it, rebranding. Yeah. It just seems like a tremendous amount. Yeah. So I, um, I was just getting to a point where I was getting like a little bit bored. I was like, okay, I feel like I could do more. I could be doing more. And also I didn't like, um, like I, I wanted to be my own boss. Like I wanted to have my own schedule. I wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to have my own company. I wanted to do all those things. And so what I did was, it sounds like so like kind of silly, um, but it, it was actually really helpful at the time is I just took a notebook and like on one side, I wrote like all the pros and cons of like what I liked about my current job. Um, and then if I could have it my way, like in a perfect world, like the things that I wanted. And then I just kind of figured out like how to connect the dots. And so I just went to my boss at the time to, to Brian and I said, Brian, like, I love working for you. Um, I think that I can offer more value uh, if we were to take me out of this position and I want to start my own company and have my company consult for all of your venues. I'll build out all of your, you know, um, uh, contracts. I'll build out all of your catering menus. I'll build out all those things, provide services for all of your uh, restaurants. He was actually expanding and opening a lot of places at the time as well. Um, And so I, you know, I started down that path and it actually was going so well. Like, I think we did over $250,000 in sales in like the first couple months. And I was like on cloud nine, I was like, this is awesome. Like, this is exactly what I wanted. You just need an easy (laughs) button right here, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, you know, (laughs) and I met my former, you know, partner, uh, in Tableist and I had never thought about tech really before, um, except for the fact that I knew there was no tech in the industry uh, in in nightlife and and very little sort of in hospitality. Great light uh, shows though. The operators. Amazing yeah, light shows. amazing light shows, but just no software. Um, like everyone was still using pen and paper. There was no way to like make reservations. The customer experience was just like horrible, um, and it still is in many places. Um, and uh, and so you know when thinking about Tableist, 
you know, I, even though I was really happy in launching my own company, um, I just felt that the opportunity in, you know, the, the sort of launching this new tech for nightlife, there was just such a need for it. And I felt. What was that spark moment though? Like when, was this something that you came up with? Was it something that your, your partner had kind of some seeds going on and you're like, Oh, I I have the operational experience over here and it's freaking nightmare. Um, of, of matching these things? So I think what, you know, really what happened was the idea came about, so the initial idea that um, we were thinking about was sort of like a, a hot wire almost type model um, yeah. for nightlife, which was kind of like you get discounted rates. And then, you know, once you book, you kind of can see where you're going, but from an operational perspective and also from a customer perspective, I was like, that sucks. Like nobody, yeah. nobody, yeah, nobody would want that. Like everybody wants discounts, but nobody like everybody also wants to know where they're going. Like they want to go to the coolest club, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and so yeah. they own somewhere. Yeah. And just like, what happened? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we, we figured out that it, you know, it wouldn't be that we actually wanted to start with more like a premium product where, you know, people would be able to, we, we literally just started as a consumer app uh, for booking bottle service at nightclubs. And that was it. Um, and, you know, B2C, so I knew nothing again, really about like how to build an app or how to fundraise from investors. Um, that was just totally new to me. So in the beginning, um, you know, my former partner sort of handled all of that. Um, I had a lot of connections to sort of some angel investors, um, that ended up, uh, you know, uh, participating. Um, but I was really, you know, the, 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 my role was really just from an operational perspective and sales, like signing on all the venues uh, and just speaking to them as an operator. Here's all the friction in this Knowing industry. Knowing all their pain points. Let's, yeah, exactly. Here's all the friction in this industry. Let's solve all these friction exactly. points, these pain points, and just make it a great experience for, for the customers so you're not fielding phone calls all day long from exactly. who said what to whom. Yes, exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So that must have been a nice passion for you because like you're doing something new, you're doing something different, you're solving all these problems. You pivoted from that event company then, like you were only there yes. for about like a year, right? Yeah. So I had um, an assistant at the time who um, I basically like handed the company off to her and was like, um, you like, yeah, I was like, you, you can take it, you can run with it. Um, and, and she, she was actually amazing. She, she, uh, was a really great, we had worked together for a couple of years and she was really great. Um, and so, you know, I was sad. I was actually really sad to see it die. Cause like, like, this I saw, is part like, of my she, dream. And it's yeah, like, I'm I glad saw you're doing potential. it, but great. Yeah. Um, I, I did see big you know, potential for it, but it was localized. It was localized to Boston. It would be hard to kind of, you know, du- duplicate or replicate that model in other you know places. Um, there was something really exciting about the tech world. I, I had always kind of being in Boston, like you always hear pitches from you know students at, you know, Harvard Business School or MIT that have these ideas. And I always thought it was so cool, but I never thought that I could do it. Um, And Mm. so this for me was like, wow, actually, not only can I do it, um, you know, with Tableist, but like I could be like, I know that I could add a lot of value here. Um, And so that was, that was really You had that confidence again. Yeah, I, I did because I was really like, comfortable with, um, you know, what I knew about the industry. Like that was like, that, and that just came from a lot of experience, right? That just came from doing it day in and day out. So this is about what time? Like 2013 ish? 2013. Yeah. 2013. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you guys are in Boston. Economy's mm-hmm. great. 
Things are going <laughs> yeah. well. Things are growing. You got people. You're solving Investors their problems. Throwing money at us, you know. <laughs> they throw money at you. Life is good. There's bottles of Dom coming to the table at night. Uh, were you actually just off on the side? Mm-hmm. Were you a consumer of this whole industry as well? Like, were you in like the scene? Yeah, I loved it. Because <laughs> you have to wait in line. I'm sure that was a perk. But yeah, never, like, no, never had to wait in line. I was, you know, uh, yeah, I loved it. There was, you know, there's something I've always loved about, again, I, I've always been a really social person. Um, I've always loved, uh, you know, hosting, like I said, and really just being able to have, like, every time we'd go out with friends and whatnot, like, I was always one that was planning it or making the connection at whatever venue we're going to. That was just always sort of my role when I was much younger. I mean, now I don't, I don't, do all of these things, but because mommy um, and me play dates, you know, dates, I, you know you yeah, gotta, gotta make yeah, sure you get exactly. the good table. I, want, I don't want, I'm not sitting by the bathroom, don't exactly don't even bother with that. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I did love it. I was, you know, I was young and it was really fun, and and I met so many people, I mean, so many people, and um, and I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I, yeah. That's amazing. So as you're growing this, your roles changed. You were co-founder of Magic Partner, mm-hmm. and then you, um, and, and you're in New York now, right? Yeah. So I, I left Boston in 2014 to launch Tableist in New York. So that was our sort of second city that we were opening up. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they started in Boston, and then we started in Boston. Gotcha. Yep. Test exactly. market. And then, then you moved up to COO. You know, a few years. Mm-hmm. into that with a, a big stint right there. What prompted some of that evolution for, for you within the company and, and becoming yeah. more, more of a central authority? Yeah. So I think, you know, when we first started, like, again, I, I didn't really understand um, the, the, how the tech would work, um, you know, hiring engineers, all those kinds of things. That was all very new to me. And I didn't, you know, I think also I was a little bit hesitant at the time. Like I still had that other business and I you know, knew that I was going to have to shut it down. So I was a, like a little uh, hesitant to kind of like put my all into it. But then once, once I made the decision to move back to New York and launch Tableless in New York, I mean, I was like fully in it. And I knew at that point that um, I had to step up and just take on the responsibility of like growing this company, launching in every city, you know, figuring out our business model, um, you know, hiring, like all those kinds of things. So, so you weren't even just in New York any longer. You guys were, you guys were expanding. Yeah, we were expanding. So, you know, again, at the time we were still B2C, uh, which, you know, we had, I, I think at the time, I forget how much money we raised at that point, but it was a lot. We were spending a lot of money at the time as well on, on just getting user downloads, which, you know, it was really interesting. Like th- that time frame, it was all about user downloads, right? And then, so you would spend as much money as you could just get as many downloads as possible. And so we would try everything. We'd try the most ridiculous things uh, just to get downloads. And then- Did you have like one um, of those like, blow up kind of things oh, we, in front of the clubs that just yeah. had tableists on it. <laughs> literally, like we tried literally everything. Um, and a lot of it worked. Like everyone always asks like, well, what's the one thing that worked? I'm like, there isn't one thing. You just have to try a million different things and all those things together probably are each, what helps. Each thing's a piece of slice, yes. maybe half a pizza slice and yes. eventually we're going to get there. But just, like, just exactly. to make sure that we're all on the same page here, I want to go to a club at night. I download the tableist app. I can book 
a seat, not just any seat, but I can get, I could see what seats are available um, at, at the clubs and probably pay extra for the, the champagne room or whatever else. Yeah, ex exactly. Um, and so, you know, but what was, what was crazy is that we kept hiring people in every city to kind of manage all of the pricing and inventory and content that was being uploaded onto the app. And, um, and there, that was really flawed. It was like, it was like, we were just going to have to keep hiring people and keep burning cash. It's a scale because for, it's scaled it, forever. Yeah. Yeah. Because there was no way for us to know in real time what was happening um, at each location. And so we would have problems with overbooking or overselling and people would get annoyed or the venue would be like, we don't have this reservation, you know, th things like that would happen. And it was, it ended up being a really poor customer experience. So in 2015, we um, had connected with a company called Night Pro. They were actually a B2B um, guest management software that was built for like a couple of the big nightclubs in Miami. Um, and we actually ended up acquiring them. And the thought process was, you know, if we actually partner now with the venues instead, um, have them actually, you know, update their floor plans, their inventory, their pricing, their events, and have them, you know, publish that to our interface then uh, you know, then everything will be updated in real time. Then the, you know, the reservations will all go into the back end, So the venues will be able to have that. Um, and it just made a lot more sense. And then we could also generate more of like that recurring revenue, which, you know, became a, a really sort of important metric for investors to look at. So, um, that's what we ended up doing. I think at the end of 2015, we ended up acquiring Night Pro and, and sort of working on more of like that B2B piece of the business. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To have let this, let them manage. Here's the tools. Yeah. And you guys it's, can like open, this. it's like open table, right? It's yep. like you, there's a customer you want to open table, but then the restaurants are using open table in the back end to manage everything. So yep. similar concept. So you guys kept growing then. So uh, mergers and acquisitions, growth, you're going national. And yep. you got a really interesting big client that came yeah. about that was all about luxury and VIP. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, we, uh, in late 2016, um, we uh, started working with... Um, the fire festival. Uh, and so we had put in a bid to win the ticketing for the festival along with a couple of other larger ticketing companies. And uh, we were, uh, Tables was chosen to do the ticketing um, because we were able to white label a lot of the technology that they wanted. So a lot of like that custom branding that you saw with the fire festival. Um, you know, I don't think anywhere anybody really saw that it was powered by Tableist, but it was. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so at the time we had, so we had a team of 23 people and um, I was actually on a small team of five people um, working on the B2B uh, piece of the business. Um, and the other half of the team or, you know, majority of the team was working on the fire festival uh, ticketing uh, as well as you know, doing other sort of consumer facing um, things. So, yeah. So that was, um, I mean, that was pretty insane. Uh, obviously, everybody knows what happened. There was the great pitches. They were well-funded by everybody. <laughs> and obviously, we're looking at this in hindsight, but it was like super well-funded, you know, rap stars as part of the, the event crew. Yeah. Like, I remember watching the festival docs, you know, after the fact. And I'm like, this looks great. You know, everyone's Instagram going uh, orange, oh. you know, and like just stopping the, stopping the scroll right yeah. there. Like... It was a big deal. Did you feel like you guys were on the like, yeah, this is this is us. That we're after this, it's like everyone's gonna want to be able to have, like we could tell them how great the user experience was, and this is us. We're the guy behind the guy or the girl behind the girl. 
Yeah. So, um, I, uh, I didn't have too much involvement with it, but obviously on a company level, like everybody was kind of aware of, of, you know, what was going on. And, um, I think two things, one is, um, I was pretty skeptical from the beginning, um, because it seemed pretty unorganized behind the scenes. So, you know, one thing that fire did, as you said, was they had amazing, like they had an amazing presentation. It just was, everything was so like perfectly branded, really just, you know, they, they nailed all of that. Um, but behind the scenes, it was a total chit show. And the whole time it's like, you know, I remember we had a girl that was handling some of the, the support tickets and sort of helping them with that. And I just remember her just being at such a loss. Like she was like, there's no way they're going to be able to pull this off. Like, there's just no way. And she's, you know, there were a lot of angry customers even leading up to the festival. Um, you know, people just that had so many questions that, and there were no answers for them, you know? Um, and I, I really felt that they wouldn't actually go through with it um, just based on all of those things. Um, but they did. And uh, we all know how that ended. Um, yeah. You know, we uh, took a massive hit because we were the credit card uh, or we were the, the ticketing provider. Um, we actually got stuck with all the chargebacks for the festival. Um, so we had, really? we did. Yeah. So we had a, a three and a half million dollar liability with our uh, payments processor and it was absolutely the most devastating thing that could ever happen. Like we just saw the chargebacks coming in and it just kept hitting our account and hitting our account and hitting our account. Um, you know, and it's like, you're of two minds, right? It's like on one hand, you're, you feel really bad for these people. Like they spent all this money to go and they didn't get that experience. So they should get their money back, right? Like they are totally entitled to get their money back, but fire wasn't giving that money back. And so it was coming out of our pocket and, um, and essentially about to put us out of business. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty, pretty tough. You remember those days fairly vividly, don't you? Oh yeah. <laughs> I still have some, you know, nightmares about it, but, um, yeah. you know, it was, it, it you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you look at the team and you, you've been, we've been building this tech now for so many years. There's so many, so many people that you know, we've been, your team becomes like your family. Um, and basically overnight, we had to make the decision to cut, you know, we went, we went from 23 people down to five people and, um, and you just have to let everyone go because there's no way until you figure out a path forward, you, you can't afford to burn any more cash. Um, you, you have to do whatever you can to preserve the, 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 the company. Yeah. Um, and so that's exactly what happened. We had to let a whole bunch of people go. And even, even you know, my former business partner uh, ended up uh, leaving the company. And that's actually when I transitioned from CEO to CEO. Wow. Wow. I, I bet you're, I, I won't ask you to go into too much detail because I, I don't want you cry on the, <laughs> on the podcast, but like, I, I'm assuming you remember those meet, yeah, like those meetings very vividly yeah. of like those extremely tough decisions of like, who's going to go and who's going to stay and what we're going to do next. Yeah. Yeah. It was awful. I mean, I, I specifically remember like, you know, the, actually the girl that was handling a lot of those sort of support tickets, um, when I had to let her go, it's like, she had been through hell over the last like couple of months and she had fought so hard for, for tableless and to sit there and have that conversation with her. Like I was in tears. She wasn't, she was actually consoling me. She's like, it's okay. I'll be fine. Actually, I'm going to walk out of here and feel a lot better. <laughs> yeah, feel a lot better. Exactly. This is but not I my just, problem anymore. Yeah. I just, you know, and the, the way that we sort of made the decision on who stayed and who left, it was basically like who contributes to the bottom line. 
And, and so the only people that really could stay aside from, you know, our CTO, uh, you know, Tim was, you know, if you're not contributing to the bottom line, if you're not actually bringing in sales, then we can't afford to keep you right now. And so it was very, it was very black and white. So, you know, that was, that was sort of how we, yeah, how we, how we did that, but. Okay. That's a um, very, it's gotta be some way of doing it. Right. Um, yeah. Better than we drawing lots, right. Yeah, exactly. Makes yeah. And then, and then, you know, in terms of the, the liability, right. So we had a three and a half million dollar liability, um, that we had to, uh, settle somehow. Um, and it took about four months to, of negotiations to, um, to basically settle it so that we were able to move forward as, as a company. Um, and that, you know, took a lot of like, like I had to convince investors to give us money, um, <laughs> which like was really difficult, <laughs> but thankfully we had investors that really believed in us. Like there's going to be some contract changes going forward. <laughs> next, next yeah. partner agreement. Yeah. But, like who's, uh, who's the liability holder on those? Yeah. What were some of your big, I mean, now it's a little bit of retrospect on this, but what were some of your big takeaways from mm-hmm. that, that you really took going forward? Yeah. Like what were some things that are just non-negotiable changes that you've had? Yeah. So one, um, you know, uh, don't, uh, negotiate those types of contracts, uh, with any, uh, you know, ticketing contracts. Uh, so that was a, a lesson right off the Liabilities with you guys. Uh, only, with only us. with like reputable vendors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I think the biggest takeaway um, that I like, it really is, you know, I think a lot of founders now, it's like, oh, we raise money, let's just go spend it all. And, you know, we don't have to, we'll worry about sales later. Like we'll worry about revenue later. Um, and obviously, you know, that was, I think, sort of the mindset that we had early on um, is like, let's just grow, grow, grow. And we'll worry about how to, you know, become break even or cash flow positive at, at another time. Um, I couldn't think that way anymore. And, and now I don't think that way ever. Um, mm-hmm. I always want to make sure that, you know, our business model is sound and that we're generating revenue and that, you know, we are always thinking about the bottom line. Um, so that's one thing. The, the other thing too, is just like, we went from a team of 23 people down to five people. And we actually ended up not only rebuilding the company, but, like doing more with five people than we ever did with 23 people. And I think that a a lot of times, you know, um, people will hire for the sake of hiring. It's like, oh, bigger team makes the company look bigger. A bigger team makes, you know, makes us seem better in some ways. And, And I just, I just totally disagree with that. I find that when you hire really talented people um, that really can contribute in their role and really build the help build the business and have um, a very specific you know part in that, uh, you end up just getting so much more from them and and for the company uh, as well. And you know those five people. Um, that stayed, you know, we all just were so close at that point. And, you know, we knew that because we were the ones left that like, we were really, really like our hearts were really in it and we really wanted to build it back up and make it successful. So. Wow. Well, those are, I mean, those are invaluable lessons. I'm assuming you will be earning many times three and a half million or whatever that settlement amount was in the, in the future from (laughs) those back. So it just, uh, uh, it's it's hard to see those gains at the at the time. So you guys moved on from there, and now you're the boss. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. Moved on from there. Um, we 2019 was the best year that Tables had ever had. Um, we had spent, I say we, but Tim, our CTO, and my co-founder 
had spent uh, you know basically all of 2019 uh, rebuilding uh, our, a, a brand new backend for Tablelist. Um, really, really like amazing, amazing software uh, that we launched in January of 2020, um, and we were sort of on this like really amazing trajectory. Uh, you know, that we had not seen yet. So it was, it was pretty exciting. <laughs> just in time for 2020, just start the new decade, right? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. So then COVID hits in March and hospitality is done. <laughs> done. Done. I mean, you could have had a niche in like those like underground speakeasy, you know, F COVID yeah. kind of clubs, but uh, no, I, I, yeah. I mean, people were trying to do like the online DJ thing. I'm like, this is not going to work. <laughs> like Nobody's going to do this. <laughs> so that's been, that was tough. And then, you know, I, I don't want to skip over this, but like, you know, you're, you lost your mom in 2019, you know, yeah. as, as well. Mm -hmm. So like, you've had a lot of adversity. Yeah. My, um, my mom, uh, was, she actually got pretty sick in 2014. She'd always had, had a, always had a heart condition. And in 2014, uh, we almost lost her. Um, and she was told she needed a heart transplant. And so, um, that was actually when I was launching Tablist in New York. And one of the, another reason why I had moved back to New York so I could be, uh, you know, close to her. Um, but she was actually doing really, really well, and uh, and um, knowing that you know she was you know due to have a heart transplant, um, which we were really hopeful for, she ended up passing away pretty suddenly uh, in September of 2019, and um, yeah, it was like totally devastating. Obviously, as you can imagine. Yeah, um, that's, I'm so, so sorry to, I mean, to have you have to go through that. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was rough. Um, and it still is rough. It's, I just can't believe it's almost two years now. Um, you know, it's, uh, but I, it, she was really proud of, you know, she's proud of all of her kids and she was really proud of, you know, what I was doing. Um, and so, you and know, you I, here I and you got to spend quality time with her. Yeah, she saw you become spend, the boss and manage yeah. through all this fire. Exactly. Oh my God. She was like my cheerleader, um, uh, through, through all of it. I mean, I remember the day that I signed the settlement agreement and I was in floods of tears, like just such relief and, um, and, you know, having that conversation with her and, and, you know, yeah, those are moments like that, which, you know, and it's funny, you asked me like, was I going out all the time? Yeah. But my mom was actually more of my social life. Like, you know, we go out to dinner every Friday night and, oh. you know, I spent a, spent a lot of time, we spent a lot of time together. So. I'm glad you guys had that time and mm -hmm. had some lessons before entering yeah. CEO of a <laughs> hospitality company as we enter a first global pandemic in a hundred years. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's see how the reservation uh, systems for, with a beautiful new backend uh, <laughs> launches freshly for 2020 and COVID. Yeah. What the hell did you guys do? So actually we had um, a couple million dollars in transactions already on the books for Miami Music Week in Miami, uh, which is always uh, in March at the end of March, um, which we had to refund everything, uh, obviously, for that because uh, everything got canceled. Um, so, you know, I think the, the first part of it was A, um, it's, it's so funny. It's like fire was so difficult. It was so difficult to go through that, but it really like... It, I don't know, it just 
I just learned so much from it that when COVID hit, it was kind of all the same things. It was like, okay, we have to, we have to cut some people because obviously we had expanded on the team at that point. So we had to furlough some people. We had to cut all of our sales and marketing costs. We had to, it's like all the things that we did back then, we just did it faster sort of in anticipation of COVID, Uh, refunded all of our customers, paused all of our subscriptions to kind of get ahead of it for our venue partners and just show them that, you know, we're in this with them. Um, And then we were kind of twiddling our thumbs. Like, we're kind of like, well, what do we do? You know, like, <laughs> if you got them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And um, I, it, it was crazy. The timing, I ended up getting a phone call from Abner Curtin, who's the uh, founder of Ascend Wellness, who I've known uh, for uh, quite some time now, uh, just from, from Boston. And um, he was familiar with the table of technology and, uh, and he called me sort of in a panic and he was like, you know, I have a really busy dispensary in Illinois. We've got a line around the corner. You know, we're not being, uh, we have to be um, compliant with social distancing. And like, I need some type of a ticketing or reservation software to help us manage the flow of customers that are coming in and out of the store. Like, can Tables help us? And can you help us now? Like, we need it tomorrow. I had never thought about how our technology could be used in any other industry. I just hadn't thought of it. Um, and obviously when COVID came up, I was kind of like, you know, you know, people have to make appointments now. They need reservations. Sometimes they need tickets. Like how could we apply this to other verticals? Um, but I, I didn't, I hadn't thought of, you know, cannabis uh, until he called me. And so, um, you know, I sat, I, I was like, let me call you back. Um, you know, I talked to our CTO and I was like, do you think we could support something like this? Um, and our, Tim was like, yeah, actually, like, I think we could. So we basically, we connected with our retail team and we basically launched this really basic janky, like reservation time slot landing page. So like a customer would place an order and then they would go to this landing page to kind of like select their time. And the first day we had it live, we had 1100 reservations come through. <laughs> we were like, That's holy crap, this is insane. Um, and then you like realize like everybody yeah. wants to get high. And you're like, <laughs> God damn. <laughs> well, people, yeah, I mean, it was, it was really interesting, right? So really eye-opening for me. You know, I'm still very new to cannabis and I you know, I have a lot to learn. Um, but you know, this was definitely sort of one of those moments where I was like, wow, like, I wonder what kind of tech there is for the retailers in the cannabis space. And as I started to dive in and I actually saw a lot of similarities between hospitality and cannabis that I just never would have seen before. Um, and so it, it was, it was pretty eye opening for me. Um, and, and so we started working with their retail team and they were, you know, logging into the tableist backend and they were like, wow, like this, this platform's awesome. Like it's really fast and it's really sleek. Um, they're like, and do you that think new can- backend really came in handy because I'm sure you guys yeah. had API and like webhooks exactly. to be able to, to, to do exactly. all the good things with. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so they were like, you know, and keep in mind, like they're using the software and it says like VIP and like admissions and like tickets and like all these like weird things that don't like, like, yeah, like club terms, like, like, you know, male, female, like, you know, all, just all these things that apply to like the club world that obviously don't apply to like retail or, or cannabis retail. And, um, and so, but they didn't care. They were like, we don't care. Like it works. It's fast. Like, 
you know, we don't have a lot, we don't have a parking lot full of people who are exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, they, they, um, they were using another service provider for their e-commerce at the time. And, um, they weren't very happy with them for a couple of reasons. One, um, this other provider was, uh, a third party or they were, they have a consumer marketplace. And so one thing that they didn't like was that, customers that were coming to their website were then their data was then getting passed on to this other sort of third party. Um, and, and then, and, and they didn't like the fact too, that like they didn't have a, a way or a tool to be able to connect directly with their customers uh, and sort of own that relationship and nurture it. And obviously coming from hospitality, we had a lot of those tools sort of already built into, uh, into the platform. So yeah, good because um, you guys have chat on there that you can go back yeah, and forth. There's like multi-team exactly. member chat, like if you need to escalate to somebody, you know, for, for any kind of issues. And there's exactly like the, you don't have to re-explain yeah. the whole problem again to the eighth person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and a lot of things, like I asked them, I'm like, how do you talk to customers now? They're like, oh, I use my info at, you know, info at whatever, like, you know, dot com. I'm like, oh, that's awful. Like, giant black hole of an email address. Yeah, exactly. And so um, so anyway, you know, they we started really working with them and diving in and then they referred us to like another location, another location. And, um, we started to kind of build out all the functionality that, uh, you know, that they were asking us for. And I think it it wasn't until, um, we had, we actually had a a point of sale reach out to us in the cannabis space, um, that wanted to buy us. Um, they actually reached out, uh, to see if they could buy us. They just wanted the technology that we had built for um, the dispensaries. They didn't want tableists, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, but they were they were really interested in it. And I think it was in that moment that I realized like, wow, I, I really think we have something here. Um, what time frame was that? So that was like around um, May and June of 2020. Pretty early on. Very early on. We're all still dealing with the fact that we're in a pandemic now, which is an yes. alternate weird reality, you know. Exactly. That was a yep. that was that was peak time. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so they, you know, it got as far as like a turn sheet, like they actually made like a real offer. And um, it was a, it was kind of one of those moments where it was like, wow, like, you know, it seems pretty cool, like that we could do this this quickly. But if we, if we actually just turn this down and, you know, really kind of keep on this path, I think we're really onto something. And, and, um, and so we ended up turning down the offer and, um, you know, deciding that we're going to move forward with, uh, create a totally new entity, um, you know, that, that had an initial sort of base, uh, of the Tableist platform, but we had already kind of changed and added and iterated on that. We, we had added so many features for what we then decided would be called dispense uh, and, and changed a lot from like the initial sort of tableist IP that it just made sense to just completely separate everything out and create an entirely new entity, which is what we ended up doing. And that was, that was your moment. And that was, yes. that's when like, okay, we gotta, we gotta pivot this. So exactly. mm-hmm. um, I want to continue with dispense, but like sure. what's going on with tableists? Are you still running that yeah. too? So, um, so I currently am still uh, the CEO uh, of Tableist, um, but our COO uh, is uh, his name is Alex. He's actually running everything day to day. You know, with the, again, you know, another lesson we learned with uh, with Tableist was um, just automation uh, is very important, and so uh, and building that into the tech platform is is key, and and making it just really easy for people to sign up, train themselves, and use it. Um, so thankfully, there's it's 
it's it's pretty low maintenance. It's pretty low maintenance software uh, and very easy to use. So you know he's managing all of the accounts, sales, um, you know that that sort of stuff day to day. I still sort of oversee the financials and uh, investor relations, but you know my my main focus is on dispense. Cool. So now you're 100 percent on dispense. You guys. Mm-hmm. Are in you, your co-founders there? Um, yeah. Tim, Tim officer. Tim officer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys are racing this, and so we're we're dealing with pandemic right now, and you guys probably need money, right? Like you got to scale <laughs> okay. this thing, and you're like, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna keep it, we're gonna make it real, <laughs> um, and then also like your family's growing at this time. Yeah, yeah. So I, so we launched uh, in beta Dispense, uh, the e-commerce and sort of you know official platform of Dispense in August of 2020. Um, and I also found out I was pregnant in August of 2020. So a lot of cool was, things are happening. Yeah, was, a lot uh, of was lot, a twelve. Yeah. Not even just a year. That was just a year ago. Um, yes. So a lot, a lot of things going on all at once. But um, you know what was really cool was again, it's like you know I think because the software is uh, so robust and and so good, Tim is just such a talented, talented, talented engineer. Um, we were able to actually sustain um, some pretty large growth um, in the first sort of twelve months. Um, you know, before we even thought about, or I, I should say like eight months before we even thought about, you know, fundraising. So, you know, we had over a million orders go through the, the software, um, you know, it, and, and it was just Tim and I, you know, it was just the two of us sort of handling all of this. And you're making um, it work. Making it work. Yeah. So I think we, you know, I set out to fundraise in February of um, 2021 mm-hmm. um, and uh, we were, you know, it's <laughs> fundraising for me. I don't enjoy it. Um, it's, you know, it's, it can be pretty grueling. I was also like about to, was I in my third trimester? Yeah, I think it was, you know, in my third trimester, starting my third trimester, um, as we're trying to raise, uh, you know, a round of funding. So Which is just miserable anyway. And then you don't need like fundraising <laughs> yeah. on top of that. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, we we were fortunate in that we were able to connect with some really amazing uh, VCs and, um, you know, both traditional VCs and cannabis VCs. And we had a lot of interest um, in the round and that, you know, for Tableau, so I was always on the other side of it. I was always like, please, please like see our vision. Right. And, and now it was actually really exciting to be um, sort of sought after by investors, which again, has never, yeah, I had, had not experienced that. And it, it was pretty cool to know that like these really, really amazing VCs believed in our vision and, and what we were building for dispense. One thing I do want to know is you had a number, you had a bunch of interest. How did you choose the investment firms that you chose? What was your, especially for someone coming into, not sure about cannabis. I'm not sure I know a ton of this stuff. Like what was your, um, how did they win? So uh, Next View Ventures uh, has led our uh, our seed round. Uh, Their seed stage uh, VC fund uh, based out of Boston and New York. Um, what I loved so much about them is that all of the partners are founders themselves. And so they really, really understand the journey that the founders go on. And on top of it can bring some incredible experience, um, you know, to the cap table. Uh, so Lee Hauer has joined the dispense board. He's actually the co-founder of LinkedIn and was an early PayPal employee um, among, a, you know, a million other things. And so just to have someone like that as like a sounding board and, um, and, and, 
the, the whole team of next view, it just really resonated with me. And I was like over the moon excited, um, that they, you know, when they sent that term sheet, um, so that was, that was really exciting. And then, you know, I, I think for me, like even setting out, there was something, even though we're in cannabis, like I, I think, so I really wanted a cannabis VC and I also really wanted a traditional VC because I think in the software space and, and, you know, doing sort of the, you know, the, uh, I, I think it was important to have, um, the experience of both like cannabis VCs can really bring in, you know, in their connections, their knowledge of the space, um, especially for someone like me, who's such a novice to cannabis and, and, you know, really just trying to learn as much as possible. So, um, you know, Poseidon, uh, when I met Emily Paxia, um, I just was like, totally like, I think she's amazing. Like yeah. she's an idol. She's my idol. I, she's just her whole story, her whole vibe, everything. She's just so smart. Um, I just love what Poseidon is all about. And I just felt that connection, uh, to Poseidon and to her, uh, you know, right, right from the beginning. So again, I was so, I was super excited to have, to have them join so us. You got well. your nice balance of traditional and, and, exactly. uh, and, and cannabis focused, uh, VCs yeah, on them. Exactly. So, well, mm-hmm. Emily and Patrick were both on the show and they were just exceptional. Yeah. And, pa- and Patrick too. Like he, exactly. So Emily introduced me to Patrick and, um, right off the bat, you just could tell, like, I mean, he's just so knowledgeable. He's just like got this wealth of knowledge in the space, which I think is going to be so valuable to dispense as we, you know, as we set on this journey. Yeah, as former Canopy Boulder. So mm-hmm. so we have funding now mm-hmm. and it's been announced. It'll be announced when this is released. And mm-hmm. what is, you know, I mean, obviously not want to give away too many secrets, but you guys are integrating with a few different, you know, POS systems to, sure. to have that ecosystem that's there. And, mm-hmm. you know, you have uh, some loyalty integrations and some mm-hmm. analytics integrations. Where are you looking to to, to go with this in, in, in the future? Is there going to be a you know, uh, these consumption lounge VIP areas with some of that terminology coming back. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't see that, but if it does, Hey, I think we're, we're the people that handle the, the, uh, the tech for that. But, yeah. um, but no, I, I think, you know, <laughs> I think, Re- reserve your hookah lounge. <laughs> hey, it's happen. It could, it could happen, I will, I will be doing that someday on, on your app. I'm 100% certain of it. <laughs> Yeah, no. So again, I think, um, you know, we're, we're in this phase now of, um, you know, really wanting to, um, continue to, to build on the technology and just understand sort of where some of the gaps are, um, and really focus on the product. Um, and then at the same time from a sales side, um, you know, really learning from our operators and retailers, uh, you know, the, the things that are sort of missing and um, things that they'd like to see. Uh, but, you know, we we really want to be the sort of e-com, that go-to e-com uh, and, and sort of order management provider for, you know, all the retailers. And that's, that's what we're going to go for. So good luck. I have a few closing questions I sure. always ask. One is, what is your North Star? Yeah, so... Um, it's, it's so hard to just pick one. I feel like I have like a Milky Way of stars. So like depending on the situation, um, you know, that I'm in, there are just certain things that I would probably either people that I might lean on, um, 
or, uh, or things, activities or things that I might do to kind of like pull me, pull me back. Um, and so I, I can't say that there's just like one thing, you know, I mean, right now I'd say if, if I had to pick one North star, you know, it's my mom, it's like, you know, she's such an amazing, strong woman and she taught me so much. And so I kind of always think back to like what she went through and, um, it kind of makes whatever I'm going through just seem really small. So, <laughs> so it, it gives me a lot of perspective on just how I handle things in life. Um, whether it's personal or professional, uh, it, it really just puts everything in perspective. And so I think, I think perspective is just making sure you keep that, you know, no matter what the challenge is, is really, really important. Um, and, and can give, give you some clarity. Come back so. to come back to those values. Get perspective. Yeah, yeah. Um, I might have been cued off of this pre-interview, but how do you keep your sanity <laughs> and focus if it's not your Bose headsets? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I um, one thing I have a really hard time with is like switching off and. And like, I think as an entrepreneur, you feel like you just have to be on all the time. And so I, I lived that way for many, many years of my life. And I think quickly realized, not quickly, it took me a long time to realize that that's not necessarily, that doesn't necessarily make you better or more productive. Um, in fact, what I find now is it's actually the opposite. And so um, I, I have to force myself just to be present in like my you know, whether it's with my family, uh, my husband, you know, we have a new baby and like really just, you know, taking that time to be present and kind of switch off and, um, and not worry so much. Um, you know, yeah. So get that downtime. Yeah. Get that downtime. Get that downtime. Take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, are there, and I, you know, as you've, you probably had a a crash course in this, but are there cannabis founders or non-cannabis founders that, that have always inspired you that their values had spoken to you? Um, so again, I'm pretty new to cannabis. Um, you know, so it's, it's like, I look at any, I mean, I kind of look at any entrepreneur as like, uh, as someone that's, inspiring because they're starting on this really, really tough journey and, um, they have to believe in it so much in order to make it successful. Uh, and so, you know, for cannabis, it's like, I look at, you know, the, I look at Abner and what he's built in like what, three years. I mean, his company just went public. It's absolutely insane. Uh, you know, I look at, at Emily and Morgan, I just love their story and, and they've been in cannabis since like what, 2013, which is like a hundred years, um, (laughs) for the cannabis industry. They they talk about dog years, Um, but there's also cannabis years. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, and so, you know, Coming into this just like wide-eyed and trying to learn as much as possible, um, I feel like so far I've learned the most, you know, from them, and you know they've really inspired our journey with uh, with dispense. So couldn't pick two better people. So those are those are <laughs> great ones to follow. Generally, what is the best way for people to reach out and connect with with you and the team over there? Dispenseapp.com. Um, there's like a, a sign up uh, or a schedule demo button right there, um, or just connect with me on LinkedIn. Cool. Well, the app looks slick. Um, like it really just looks so fluid and so user-friendly and it fills a lot of the gaps that you have to have pieced together a number of different things to even hopefully achieve. It's just an exceptional thing. And I wanted to, wanted to share that story, but more importantly, I wanted to share your story and like, how does one come through all this stuff to create something like this? So mm-hmm. thanks for sharing all this. This is amazing. Thanks for having me. Hey there, one quick thing before we go. 
If you've listened this far, you've likely got some value from the show. These episodes take a lot to produce. All I'm asking for is some feedback. I hear this all the time, and honestly, usually ignore it too. But reviews have a huge ROI for us podcasters, especially the smaller ones. Taking less than a minute to write a review and sharing with your friends, colleagues, and followers on social media would mean the world to us. Thank you. Lit Up Founders is a Lit Up Media production. I'm your host, Brian Weber. This episode was edited by Anthony Margola and Brian Weber, mixed and mastered by Anthony Margola, theme music courtesy of Justin Cruz of Cruise Control Music. You can connect with us on our website, litupfounders.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at litupfounders, and LinkedIn at litupmedia. Our email is feedback at litupmedia.com. Thanks for sharing the journey.